David Whetstone, would you come down? Sometimes David's not here that often, but he's been here like the last couple weeks, and I just was feeling maybe a, whenever David gets a microphone, it's like a vitamin B12 shot um, from <laughs> for us too. But uh, this, this is kind of off script a little bit. But David, so David, for those of you that are visiting or maybe you've been around a while, don't know, uh, has been the planter, uh, the pioneer. The and by, when I say pioneer, I mean like without a covered wagon, but it was definitely a tent uh, into northern Togo in West Africa, when you look at where the Islamic tide is rolling through Africa, he planted a church like smack dab in the middle of it, putting a flag in the, in the ground for Jesus there, um, staying six to nine months at a time, a few years back. Uh, so if you were here last year, how many were here last year when Pastor William joined us from Togo, West Africa? And that miracle $20,000 offering that came in that morning? David met Pastor William Pastor William runs it, but it was, David would be, I guess, the Apostle Paul in this scenario that helped to plan it, but William is the guy on the ground. Um, is it possible to give us a 30,000-foot view of what's happening right now? And, and you're, you're in, to- you're in uh, Haiti, other places, but in Togo right now, like with the truck has been bought, you know, the motorcycle. What's going on? Give us an update. Well, first thing is no matter how much is going on in the world, you know, I think of when Jesus was in the ship and the uh, waves were crashing over and they thought they were going to sink. He says, cheer up. And, uh, you know, how do you cheer up? He says, because I control all of this that's going on. And that's sort of what Pastor William told me the other day. If you've been watching the news, you saw where over 150 were taken captive and over 29 people were killed uh, from Islamic extremists. Michael Redding from Florida, 45 years old missionary that was there, was one of those uh, meeting with a pastor for a cappuccino and didn't know that that would be the last day he would spend his life. And Pastor William was in Ouagadougou that day. And I say, Pastor William, uh, do you feel safe? He says, for the first time in my life, I feel concerned. But he said, David, safety is of the Lord and God is on our side. And he says, the church is doing incredible in the village. But in four years, five years since we've been there, uh, Darren, since you've been, there's now an Islamic temple that is built in the village that, that no one even knew about. It is trickling down. We're four hours away from Ouagadougou, and it's coming so rapidly. And like Pastor William... For the map, if you've watched the news, that's Burkina Faso that he's talking about. Burkina Faso. We're right on the border of Burkina Faso. If you're a good spitter, you could spit into... Burkina Faso from where this is. That's so exactly these are the right. cities he's talking about. So Pastor William says it's more time than ever to be moving forward. And that's why I, I text pa- uh, Pastor Darren uh, last week. I was like, this is my fourth Sunday here. I'm so encouraged to see this church constantly moving forward because now is the time that we move forward more than ever before. Uh, but the church in uh, uh, Benjam, if you take these wings off and, and you omit the back right there, it's about the size of this room. Over 500 people are meeting in there. He says, David, we can't all meet in there anymore. So all the children now, instead of meeting in to do their program, they automatically go to the school building for services because the adults are standing outside looking in. He says, the Islamics got here way too late. Jesus is here and doing incredible things. And so I want you to realize when you give your tithes and your offerings and we, when we go into financial peace, which I'm doing that with you guys, and we are growing, we're moving forward as the conduit church here, 
the conduit church in Africa is being also affected. We're much, much, much bigger than what is meeting right here. Our body is so much larger. And today, over 700 people, because 500 are in the building, while 200 of children are meeting in a Sunday school class, over 700 people are being reached. And now the, the first orphans that we had, like Yao and Yindube, uh, Dabwab, those guys, they're 16 years old. Now Pastor William is sending them over into other villages and as 16, 17-year-old young men, they're standing preaching the gospel under a thatched roof and starting other churches uh, uh, in other villages right around us. God is doing incredible things. So if I can encourage this church beyond anything that I could ever say, keep doing what we're doing. Let's get our finances in a situation where we can move forward and we can build the kingdom of God and build the citizens of the kingdom of God uh, all across uh, the globe, uh, not only right here. Uh, I want to yeah. thank you all so much because without you, I can't do what I do. And your prayers and your covering means so much to me. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> what David is communicating about the Islamic church getting there too late. Um, they got there too late because this place was a, a forgotten wasteland. When we, I remember when we pulled into town that first time on motorcycles, and I used the word town very loosely. I remember thinking, where, like, where is everybody? This is the town. It just looked like, a corn, looked like children of the corn, but with Africans. Remember that movie? And, and so we get into this little town, and, and, and just like children of the corn, they all came out of the corn. Hundreds and hundreds of them. And they were, sorry, that was, that was inappropriate. Um, but the point being that when Islam comes to town, we have to beat them there because once Islam is there to convert out of Islam, like when Sunny or one of these guys, they lose their families, they could lose their lives. They certainly are cast away. And so it's such a, that's why it's so difficult to reach into areas that are already staunch Islamic. And so when we built an outpost for the kingdom there, and that little empty field that literally looked like a forgotten wasteland, there's now a church, there's a school. Uh, there are brothers and sisters, who, little boys and girls who spent their days literally working in fields, bent over with their parents that are now being educated. And Islam, if there's a mosque, the only reason they're there is because they saw that something was happening and it's them trying to play catch up instead of the other way around. And in Africa, the church was asleep at the wheel for too long and we have... Uh, lost a lot of ground to what radical Islam, even moderate Islam, has accomplished in Africa. But we can't back off. That's why we've moved forward in Morocco. Right now, this morning in Lebanon, those brothers and sisters from, uh, that we've helped invest in this morning are uh, being ministered to with pastors and churches. The Syrian refugees are there being preached Jesus. And what's happening in Togo is now when you've got a guy like William, who born and raised, his wife is from Burkina Faso. Am I remembering that right? Yes. So he doesn't have to take Cipro. Like, he doesn't have to get all, like, we Americans, we have pretty weak stomachs, right? So when we invest in those guys and send them into those kingdoms, they don't mind sleeping on floors. You know, for him to go into a place that would maybe make us afraid, he is fearless. So we get to be a part of now this outpost of the kingdom, which is moving into, not only all over Togo, but into Burkina Faso. And it was because you walked into a village that no one else could have possibly thought this is a good idea. I remember the conversation, David, like, what, you, you said something about the ends of the earth. I'm like, why don't we go almost to the ends of the earth and invite them over and back? And you're like, no, no, he said the ends of the earth. I'm like, well, I think you found it. Um, and that was how many years ago when you first landed there? Five. Five years ago. And everybody, including the Africans, said, you're, you're setting yourself up for failure. Oh, yeah. But, uh, it was but we knew that this was the place. Yeah. 
So be praying for David. Um, in fact, why don't we stand and let's pray for him right now. Um, we, Let me know. share this one yeah, thing with you too. The Islamic faith is on steroids right now, and I believe it's ushering in the kingdom of God. Uh, I have the privilege in a small town of Nolensville, I sit on a, a, a Williamson County board there, and they're trying to pass laws in our Williamson County schools uh, to allow to dismiss the Islamic children uh, for their prayer time. It's not only happening in Africa and in the Middle East and in these places, it's happening in Williamson County. I'm telling you, we better be praying more than ever before and moving forward. Yeah. And I would say to that, the question, you know, a lot of times we get all caught up in the, on the internet world of, is it a peaceful religion or is it not a peaceful The question isn't that, is, is it a false religion? And the answer is 600 years after Jesus ascended, uh, a demon appeared to a guy named Muhammad and told a different story about Jesus. So the same as Mormonism. Uh, a different gospel. It's a different story. And so is it a false religion? And if it's a false religion, then it's one that we want to preach the gospel of Jesus to and bring freedom to these men and these women and these, and these precious children uh, that are now going to grow up as warriors in the kingdom and preaching the gospel. So Father, we just thank you for uh, the faithfulness, uh, the fearlessness of uh, David and the ministry that he's grown up around it. And I'm I'm thankful to get to have played just a small part in what, uh, what you're doing, Lord, there. And uh, we pray for Pastor William and his family who are on the ground right now, today, in northwest Togo, north of Togo and in Burkina Faso, that they're a light to, uh, to, the, to the darkness that is there. And we ask for, uh, for safety. We ask for provision and, and uh, just supernatural miracles, Lord, that you would show and manifest your ways into in, these people in, in such a way that when he stands up and says that uh, Jesus is Lord, Allah is not, that the miracles speak for themselves. Thank you for the supernatural harvest that's already happening around the world and for us getting to play just a small part in it. And Lord, for David, that you would keep him safe, uh, not just physically, but just keep him safe in your hand. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. If we want to find out, like with you, is it mentorleaders.org the best way to follow along? And if you're not friends, you can sit down. If you're not friends with David on the Facebook, it's just David Whetstone, W-H-E-T-S-T-O-N-E, -E, Whetstone. Dr. Whetstone, I presume. <laughs> Livingstone. Thanks, David. Well, oh man, what time is it? Oh, we got plenty of time. Uh, it's the worst possible thing you could hear a preacher say. Oh, we got plenty of time. Here's the thing, though. When you get a, a preacher that's of size, um, they don't, like, uh, the, the skinny preacher's the ones you got to watch out for because they don't know it's lunchtime. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, I forgot to eat. You did? Like, I've never once ever forgotten to eat, <laughs> ever, <laughs> ever. Would you open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 11? I, I just think from time to time it's good for us to get just a reminder of what the Lord is doing. And what you got to see this morning is Bucky and, and Kim are going to get to go and tell stories of what Jesus is doing. And it's, we got a chance to hear some stories of what Jesus is doing this morning. It's like our, we're the Acts 29 at this point. This is the continuation of what God was doing. So I hope you don't mind that. Um, 1 Corinthians 11. Mm, let's see, where shall we go? 
how about verse 23? Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of uh, concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. In verse 28, and let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Boy, that doesn't sound like much fun, does it? So let's dig into that. Let's pray. Father, we ask for your uh, wisdom. I desperately need your wisdom. We all need your light and your lamp in our lives, and that your word today would speak to us Lord, my prayer is that I just get out of your way and let you do the speaking and pray that our words this morning, uh, that your words will permeate and pierce our hearts. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. If you've been around a while, you know that we take, uh, we have communion available every week as a part of our fellowship. There's many reasons for that. Uh, The Lord said as often as you come, you know, do this, do this in remembrance of me. And there have been those that have communicated over the, the times that we've done this, that, oh, man, allowing people to do this in an unworthy manner. And I think that's a fair question. It's a, it's a reasonable question. And as I was reading this week and preparing for uh, the message that will now be uh, the next time I speak, because I, I, I felt like the Lord allowed us or invited us to take a little bit of a detour, um, it came to me when I was reading through Nehemiah. If you've, the last three weeks, we've been in, ne- uh, in Haggai and Ezra, Nehemiah, speaking about the rebuilding of the temple. And as we've been digging into that, I was reading again through Ezra and Nehemiah and Esther, and I noticed something that made me, it, it caused me to think about communion. I know that's random to think about, we're talking about rebuilding the temple. But in Nehemiah 3 and in 7, and then in Ezra 2, he was referring to these, this people group as the, the people that came back to help rebuild the temple, to set the scene if you haven't been here. The people of Israel had been in captivity for 70 years, and they were invited back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls, to rebuild the city. Less than 10% of the people actually went back because some, for some of us, prosperity in captivity is better than freedom in poverty. And they were moving back to a place that was poverty and broken, but they were going to be free. But only 10% of them signed up for that ride. But among the people in Nehemiah 3 and 7 and Ezra, which by the way, in the the, uh, Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are actually the same book. And we'll talk about that in the weeks to come and and why. There's this random group, this this people, in the middle of the names, there were the, the Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites went with them to rebuild the temple. Ninety-five of them. 
And at one point, they, they referred to them as the Nethanim, which are the sent ones, which was the, uh, a word that was like the group of people that were, their only job was to serve the temple. And as I was reading, and some, you know, some of you have asked me over the years, like, how do you study and how do you prepare and what, what is your study life like? And for me, sometimes it's just random. It's like, wait a minute, Gibeonites, that sounds familiar. Where did I hear that before? And if you've got your Bibles, go to the book of Joshua chapter 9. Because there's a picture here in Joshua that I believe paints a picture for communion and what it looks like to discern the bread and the wine and what it looks like for us today as we partake of communion together corporately as a church family. And in Joshua 9, the people of Israel, this is hundreds of years before Haggai and, and Ezra and Nehemiah, they were on the front end of going back uh, to take the land that God told them to take. And they get to uh, Jericho and Ai and they're in the land of Canaan and they are defeating the enemies that the Lord has commanded them. And by the way, if you've grown up around, uh, especially if you've grown up around the Southern Gospel, you've probably heard the word Beulah land before, right? Maybe you've sang the song. And it speaks of heaven in those songs oftentimes. We think of we're going to Beulah land, heaven, and, and, and there's a, I, we don't have time to discuss why it's Beulah versus Canaan, whatever. But I don't think that Canaan refers to heaven at all. I think that it refers to, because I don't know if you've noticed, but in heaven there, are no, there will be no giants to conquer. There will be no land to take. I think that Joshua, whose name, by the way, in Hebrew is the same name as Jesus, so that's a whole other sermon as well, but it speaks not of heaven, but of the spirit-filled life that you and I partake of right now that there are enemies to conquer, there are giants to take, there is land to, to dominate. And so they've already defeated Jericho, they've already defeated Ai, and the people of Gibeon, well, that didn't work. <laughs> 45-year-old eyes right there. The people of Gibeon in verse, let's say chapter 9, verse 2, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. All the, the people that knew that they were coming, they're banding together. But the people of Gibeon, verse 3 says, when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning. And if you've got a King James, doesn't it say wilily or something like that? Like wilily? And went and made ready provisions and took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. Perhaps they were gluten-free. <laughs> and verse six. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him, and the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. We are far, far away from you. And so now make a covenant with us. We, the men of Israel, but the men of Israel said to the Hivites, perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? And they said to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to them, who are you and where do you come from? And they said to him from a very distant country. Basically, the, the, what the story is, is they're saying, you're supposed to go and conquer these enemies. And we're saying, we're far, far away from them. These other guys that are right here, they're getting ready to get an army. We're not from there. We're far away. We're not, we don't mean you any harm. We're not going to hurt you. Don't worry about us. We're, we are harmless. And in verse 
let's see, let's go down to verse 11. And this is what them speaking to Joshua. The elders and the inhabitants of our country said to us to take provisions in your hand for the journey and go and meet them. He, this is the story they're cooking, they're this, the yarn that they're spinning. We are your servants. Come now make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. And these wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst, and these garments and sandals are ours worn out from the journey. And so the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. They sought and they looked at the provisions, but they did not seek and look at the Lord. People of Gibeon, the people that God had said, you need to remove these people because of what they would do to them, and we could look at uh, some of the reasons why God did that, and maybe that's another conversation over lunch or, uh, or even in another sermon. But suffice it to say that a God who is good enough to become man and dwell among us, who died and took our sins and resurrected on the third day, a God that would do that is a good God. So when I look at something like Joshua 9, I initially say, ooh, that's kind of, I don't know how to take that. I can cross-examine it and say, okay, but God is good, and, and we don't have to dive into that this morning. But what they're saying was, we don't want to be like them, so they lied. They made a ruse. We've, we got our old shoes, our old, it's like we've traveled for many, many miles. The bread is now dry. The wine is burst and it's gone. It was all a, a, a big ruse. It was them acting wilily, cunning to make a deal with Joshua. And so what did Joshua do? He didn't seek the Lord. He sought the circumstance. And in the circumstance, he made a deal with somebody that he shouldn't have made a deal with. He cut a covenant with someone he shouldn't have cut a covenant. He rang a bell that could not be unrung. The word wilily reminded me of Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11 when it talks about the full armor of God that you might be able to withstand the wiles of the enemy. That the lies of Satan are just the same as they were thousands of years ago. It's really not that big of a deal. Hey, that sin, that lie that you've told, it's not that big of a deal. What does our society say to us right now? Some of the things that the scripture speaks so clearly about as sin, as missing the mark, the enemy, the media, our culture is saying, ah, it's not that big a deal. Just let us alone. Make a covenant with us. We'll, let us in and we'll be, we won't bother you. The hellish, lying Tricks of Satan that started thousands of years ago continue to this day. And so Joshua makes a deal with a sin, with a, a people that speak of the sin in our lives that couldn't be undone. He made choices that would forever follow him. And it reminds me somewhat of, of our lives today as humans. In our current walk, that there are things that we've done there is toothpaste that's out of the tube that can't be put back in again. There are words that have been spoken that can't be unsaid. There are relationships that have been broken that can't be mended. There are times in our life when we've done something that I hope I never see that person again. I look back at my life, especially in my early 20s, and think, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? I hope I never see him again. Or her. <laughs> the upside, by the way, is they say the human brain, by the way, the male brain is not formal, like fully formed 
until it's 25 years old. So when you look back at 19 and said, what were you thinking? You weren't. <laughs> you, just, you just weren't. Females is about 21 or 22. That's why you feel like, it's like, a, it's like I'm dating a little boy. You kind of are. <laughs> that part of him is, just didn't work yet. But I think about those in, the, in where we've, in our lives, and all of us have those in our lives. All of us have said things, all of us have done things that we thought maybe weren't even a big deal at the time that turned around and bit us in the butt. There were Gibeon relationships, so to speak, with sin, that I've done that or I said this or I acted that way, and now that's out and that, that will never be the same. The relationship will forever be damaged in that way. And absolutely, I'm so thankful for forgiveness and, and, and restoration and redemption. But sin has consequences. There's a reason why. God commands the things that he commands. It's not because he's a cosmic buzzkill. He just says, that's going to hurt you to do that. And not out of anger, but Jeremiah 1, there's this scripture that came to my mind yesterday where he's talking to Israel saying, it was your own backsliding that hunted you down. I wasn't angry at you. Your backsliding did this. You did this to yourself. And the consequences and the ramifications that Joshua experienced when he made a deal with Gibeon. The Gibeonites would be with them until this new temple was being built. Hundreds of years later, the Gibeonites were still there. So much so that it was the Gibeonites that was, went with them to help rebuild the temple. There were some of those that were Gibeonites. And you're thinking, what does this have anything to do with communion? <laughs> it's a good question, and I'm going to tell you. The reason that Joshua blew it that day, the reason I believe you and I have blown it, what Paul is saying about some of you are sick, some of you are feeble, some of you are dying, that we didn't discern the bread and the wine. The Gibeonites came, and Paul, I mean Paul, Joshua didn't discern the bread and the wine. He, didn't, he just looked at the circumstances, didn't seek the Lord, didn't discern what it really meant. And so when Paul warns us into the new covenant to not take communion in an unworthy manner, I don't, I'm not going to ask you for a raising of hands. And, and some of you, by the way, might not agree with what I'm about to say, and that's okay. Really smart people come down on either side of these Issues, But I look at this, and when I see communion, don't take communion in an unworthy manner. Don't not discern, so you haven't discerned the body. Doesn't mean that you have to make yourself worthy to then take communion. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. If it's about me becoming worthy to take communion, nobody's worthy. So I think we can rule out immediately that I have to, be in a, I have to repent of every sin that I've done this week, or I can't take communion. I don't think that's what it's saying at all. Discern the body, discern the blood, discern what he has done for us. And when I read that and I think what Joshua missed, he didn't discern the bread, he didn't discern the wine. When I come to the table, and we have a table set every week, and if you look under your seat today, we've got the little... Uh, the, the elements of communion, the elements are not as important as the, as the discernment that you need when you partake of this uh, tradition that Jesus said to do is often in remembrance of me. When I come to the table and I discern that that little sin 
that I thought wasn't a big deal is the very sin that Jesus himself paid for on the cross for me. So when I'm looking at it with a wink and a nod, not that big of a deal, when I come to the table and I'm remembering what Jesus did, what I'm remembering is, oh no, that is a huge deal. A huge brokenness, a huge bloody mess in Jesus' hands and in his palms. And so when I come to the cross, I don't minimize what I did. I am allowed to maximize the sacrifice that Jesus paid for it. Every single one. In the Old Testament pictures of the sacrifice, some of you know this, the people would have to lay their hands on the sacrifice and they would have to confess every single sin. Every sin individually had to be paid for in full with the blood of the sacrifice. Every single sin ever that you and I have from the time we were born till the time we step into eternity was paid for individually by Christ. And some of you mathematicians are thinking, how is that even possible? He was only on the cross for six hours. Just me alone, it would take 20 hours. There's a mystery that I don't fully understand. In Revelation, it says that the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. Think back as far as you can to the beginning of the earth, to man in the garden, to before that, before time itself, that the lamb was slain. And it says further on into Revelation that when we see him, we will see him as a lamb having just been slain. The mystery that I don't fully comprehend in my little peanut-sized brain is that from before time till time immemorial, the lamb was slain. He had that much time to be slain because it would take that much time to pay for all of it. And he did it willingly. And maybe someday on the other side of heaven we'll figure, oh, that's what Stephen B. Hawking's been talking about. I, don't even, I didn't get it then. But on this side of heaven I can look and say that there's a miracle there. And that I can take this juice that just is like a little, what is this, like a 0.5 cents from Lifeway thing, this little juice thing, and it could represent something so much greater and so much more profound than that. When I take it and discern what he did with it, and I believe that there are absolutely miracles that happen because of what Jesus did at the cross. By his stripes we were healed. It speaks of a physical, I believe, and there's those that would like to spiritualize it, and if you want to do that, we can do that too. And believe that we don't need to walk out feeble because he paid for that. Not just for the forgiveness of our sins, but Hebrews 9 says the remission of our sins. Remission, what a profound word. When someone, if someone in here, maybe you're struggling with cancer now or you have struggled or somebody in your family is, when it's in remission, isn't that the best news that you can get? It's defeated. Not just the, the consequence and the penalty, but the power of it defeated. And when I come to the table discerning that, I walk away with sin having less power over me. And I believe if we discern what Jesus did, not just make this some rote ritual, but an absolute supernatural experience, 
and allow the power of God to move in that miraculous way in our lives. That even those sins that we've done, maybe some of you are in a, in a, a marriage that you, you've lost another marriage in a relationship and, you, and maybe it was because of things that you did. There are sins that you can't undo. There are relationships that you've been in and you've caused damage. And if you're in the middle of one right now, I would challenge you, come to the table discerning this morning. Don't run away from it, run to it and allow that discernment to give you power over it and to stop it right now. And for those of you that have gone way past it, decades into something that's just had this power over you, that just haunts you and hunts you down. Just like Jeremiah once said, your own backsliding would hunt you down. I have hope for you this morning because what did Joshua do with the Gibeonites? It says, okay, I'll make this deal with you. Verse 21, let them live. Listen, if if you've nodded off, wake up and you go right back to sleep. Listen, he says, let them live. And so they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said of them. The sin that was never going to go away, that the consequences of which would never go away, he's saying cut that wood, draw that water for the sacrifices. I can't tell you that the consequences will end. I just can't, and that's why... When Paul speaks in Romans 6 about having power where grace, sin abounds, grace much more abounds, that's what's happening here. They're here. They're not going anywhere. These consequences are not going anywhere. So let grace abound in that situation in Romans 5. But in Romans 6, he says, okay, so, you, you know, look, you've been in sin. Why don't I get your money's worth? He says, absolutely not. That's foolishness. What, what you've done, the sin has abounded. Grace will abound. But don't, don't keep doing it because the consequences for your children, the consequences for your marriage, in your grandchildren, they, they pay out. The wages of sin is death. Jesus cashed the check for the penalty of sin, but the consequences, they sort of go on in life, don't they? And so what do I do with those consequences? I make them the cutters of the wood and the haulers of the water that take me back to the table, reminding me that Jesus paid for the penalty and the power and the redemption of my sins. The Gibeonites would still be there when they're rebuilding the temple. The fixer-upper, you, God's fixing up your temple. Those Gibeonites will still be there this side of heaven, but don't allow them to lord over you like they would later let the Amalekites do. In the, in the land of Israel. Allow them to be like the Gibeonites in your land where they're now your captive and now they are working in your... Isn't that what... Oh, man, maybe that's what Paul meant when he said that in your weakness he will be strong. Maybe. But today, as a, as a church family, I would invite us to, to know that there is redemption and there's healing and that maybe some of these consequences weigh heavily on you today. Allow them not to lord over you. Allow them to become under you and to be just one more thing that drives you back to the cross. One more thing that drives you back to Jesus, back to the wood, and back to the water. Isn't that a great picture? Because what was it that Jesus said that from you would flow rivers of living water? And all that consequence does is remind you, I don't want to do that again. 
I've done that before. That didn't work out so good. I'm going to let that carry the water now for future for me. I hope this makes sense. As our worshipers come back, I want to participate this morning. Individually, we're not going to do the, uh, you know, take your bread and water. I want you to individually do some business with God this morning. If you prefer the method where you dip into the juice, we still have those available here, but under your seat, you should have one of these little containers. The little plastic thing slides off kind of easily. If you're in the front row, you will not have those. Snow day. But we do have these available here on either side for you. And today, I would encourage you, I know normally we say go as a family, do it as a father and leading it. And I think that that's good, by the way. What did Paul say that in doing so, 1 Corinthians 11, when you take of this, you proclaim the name of Jesus until he comes. This is the greatest sermon ever preached. So I think it's good as fathers to do this with our families. But today, I would encourage you, individually, teenagers right where you're sitting, I would encourage you to do some business with Jesus this morning. You have an opportunity to not do a deal with some Gibeonites that maybe your parents did do a deal with. You have an opportunity to say not anymore earlier in your life than some of us have. And those of us that have been around longer, and man, you have blown it, and you thought, that's just too big, it's just too much. I have to pay for that somehow. Remember that Jesus paid for it already, and that where your sin abounded, grace that much more abounds. Let it be the cutters of your wood, the cutters of the cross, so to speak, and to bring the living waters out of you. Don't let this day go by without taking the opportunity to discern the body and to discern the blood of Jesus this morning. Some of you have lived an entire life and you know a life of careless living has brought health problems to you some of us it's not anything to do with that it's just health but you know what I'm saying even those today let those allow you to drive you back to Jesus that to be the wood that puts you back they carry the wood they carry your sacrifice you're going back to Jesus and if you don't ever get healed this side of heaven God doesn't love you any less But I do believe this morning, maybe some of us, there might be supernatural miracles happen in a room like this when we begin to discern the body and the blood of what Jesus really did. I'd love to make this metaphorical, but that's not what he said. What he said was, oh, you, you know, you're dying and you're feeble because you haven't discerned the body. Discern it this morning. Allow Jesus to move. And if you're a cessationist, maybe take a deep breath and see maybe Jesus will surprise you today. <laughs> Father, would you move in our hearts? Would you speak to us from the youngest until the oldest? Allow us today to discern your body that was broken for us, to discern the cost that you paid, that there was no such thing as a marginal or a little sin. It was all my sins, every single one of them that nailed you there. And every single one that you were willing to pay for for all of us. And Lord, I pray today that there would be supernatural miracles, that by your stripes we are healed, that that bread speaks of a body that was broken. I know in a room like this, there are those that just need a healing touch from you, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. 
And God, for those of us that have lived a little bit longer and had a little bit more opportunity to make more deals with Gibeonites, allow us today to take that captive. You said take those thoughts captive. It's, let's allow us to take that captive today, the power over it, not just the freedom from the penalty, but the freedom from the power. Thank you for that. It's in your name that we pray.